The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we kick off a new week. Hope you had a great weekend. Merry Christmas to all of you. Coming up on today's show, we'll talk weather with DTN meteorologist Mike Palmerino. We'll get a Washington update from Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. And we'll talk about that announcement on Friday that the National Pork Producers Council and American Farm Bureau Federation are challenging the California Proposition 12. We'll talk with Michael Formica with the National Pork Producers Council about that. But we start things off today with Spencer Chase from AgriPulse Communications. Spencer, too bad there's not much going on or to do in Washington these next couple of weeks. Yeah, I honestly don't know how the heck we're going to fill a newsletter these next couple of weeks. We're we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel for content these days. (laughs) Well, They've just, I mean, Congress has really kind of backed themselves into a corner. I mean, I, how, how in the world are they going to get all this done? History tells us they won't. Uh, what do you think they will get done? Well, I mean, Congress has shown the ability to work quickly when they need to. And uh, I've, I've often said the most influential man in Washington is not the president. It's not any member of the House or Senate. It's the statue of Ronald Reagan at the Washington National Airport. A lot of folks want to wave goodbye to him as they head out of town. And so they've got about two weeks here left in town. Um, at at which point we expect that they'll do something um, to avoid a government shutdown, whether or not that's a year-long continuing resolution or, uh, or, excuse me, a year-long omnibus or a continuing resolution to punt this into, uh, you know, later into next year. Obviously remains to be seen. Uh, There is optimism that they'll be able to solve the situation in general uh, this year. And, you know, towards the end of last week, there was uh, not, there was kind of a growing sense of pessimism about the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement that that might need to be punted into 2020 as well, but then some fresh signs of optimism over the weekend as there were reports that uh, the United States and Mexican governments had submitted a proposal to House Democrats, uh, and currently awaiting the House Democratic response to that proposal. But you know, some some signs of optimism as as we sit here with two weeks uh, two weeks remaining before folks uh, intends to go home. We'll see if Congress and uh, just the laws of nature decide that they're going to need to stick around for a little while longer, but. Uh, we can definitely expect some action on government funding, potentially some action on uh, on USMCA. And while they're at it, I think they're going to try and vote on something on impeachment next week. So stay tuned. Well, they'll have to do something on spending. And I, it'll probably be more have to be a CR. They're big on, on pushing that you know, back as far as they can, kicking the can down the road, as they say. Uh, USMCA, I've been... We've all been hearing about this optimism for some time. I, I'm not convinced yet. That well, and I think your, at your least, point is very at, fair. At, at, at least some House Democrats, anyway, I'm not convinced that they really want it to come up for a vote this year. We'll see. I hope it does, but I'm not convinced yet. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's one of those things that once they decide they want to go, it'll be interesting to see how procedurally they want to do this. Because under the rules of Trade Promotion Authority, which kind of governs trade talks, both at the administrative and the congressional level, 
there's some delays that have to happen. You know, once the bill is submitted to Congress, there's X amount of days that they're supposed to look it over. It'd be, it'll be interesting to see if those uh, delays get waived in the effort to try and pass something in 2019. I'm not a good enough reporter to crystal ball that for you to tell if that's going to happen this year, but I think it would be you know, naive to say that there's no chance at all of that happening as well. I think they want, as, as we said, they've proven if they want to act quickly, they can. It's just whether or not the want to is there. I agree. The want to, that's the part we're waiting to see. Meanwhile, on China, and hey, there's been the ups and downs of this for a year or two, and uh, it's hard to trust any optimistic reports that come out because we've been uh, seeing that uh, played out over the year. But there is a deadline coming up on that, too, that uh, may impact it, and that's the December 15th as far as more tariffs. Right, and President Trump did uh, did allude to the fact that they were discussing those tariffs uh, in some comments to reporters last week. And so it's not necessarily set in stone that those tariffs are going to go into place. There could be potential from the Trump administration to uh, to hold off on those as a you know maybe a sign of good faith or as a negotiating tactic, depending on on your perspective on the issue. But yeah, as you mentioned, there there is another tariff escalation scheduled for December fifteenth. Now, what the administration decides to do on that front obviously remains to be seen. But uh, we did see some Chinese. You know, some good news from the Chinese toward the tail end of last week. But that was after the beginning of the week, the president saying that, you know, he could maybe see these trade talks, you know, pushing back past the election. And uh, I I know there were some people that uh, got a little bit of heartburn over those comments, really weren't anticipating to to hear them in general. So uh, obviously a lot of folks watching China, as as they have been for for months now, and it, it, it seems strange that... We were just around the corner from signing the Phase 1 deal. They were talking, you know, the main point they were discussing was where in the United States they wanted to sign this thing. Now they're wondering when any kind of an agreement can be reached when we previously thought that there was one. So interesting times in trade talks these days. You know, I'm full... I am for transparency, and I want as much information as I can. And as as a journalist, uh, you want more information. But you know what? I'm ready on this thing... For both sides, just be quiet until there's something really to say and stop speculating in the in public about it back and forth and getting everybody's hopes up, then dashing them, bringing them back, back down. Just wait till you actually have something decided on. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm torn there, too. As the, as the son of two farmers, I, I definitely hear what you mean. You know, a lot of folks are getting kind of, uh, kind of anxious on this uh, will they or won't they. But heck, as a reporter, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of twists and turns to cover. It's you know, it, it does make for some interesting uh, interesting dialogue every now and then, but I, I definitely know what you mean. There's a lot of folks that would rather just see this uh, over and done with. All right, we're still waiting, too, uh, for what uh, the White House is going to do on the RFS. Now we're hearing they're, they're talking about, well, maybe partial waivers is the way to go on these small refinery exemptions. Yeah, and they've thrown around the idea of partial waivers for a while. Uh, this is something that they've just never really necessarily put into print. And so we're told that we can expect something from the White House or from the administration. Either, uh, you know, they're hoping right now by December 20th, so so next Friday, but that could potentially slip into that next week and come out on December 27th, that that Friday after Christmas. And to be to be blunt, we've heard some EPA employees have told our sources that look, you know, we don't want to work that week either. So a lot of folks. Are, uh, are trying to get this done as early as possible. It's just a matter of what procedural levers are going to need to get pulled to uh, to get this done. But we've heard the idea of partial waivers. We've heard the idea of you know potentially you know tweaking the the formula to which they're going to use to figure those exemptions. 
Uh, it's, it's really going to come down to a matter of, you know, what the administration thinks is going to be politically palpable. And let's be honest with ourselves, it's going to be a matter of what can stand up the best in court, because no matter what the administration comes out with, it's going to a courtroom. It's just a matter of which side end up, ends up suing, or, you know, if, if they do it, uh, do it a certain way, they could be, could very well end up with lawsuits from both sides of this argument. There aren't very many hard deadlines in Washington because they can usually move them. But Christmas is one they can't move. It's a wonder right. they haven't tried that yet. But they they can't <laughs> move that one, so that that may get something done here in these next couple of weeks. Yep, Christmas and the end of the year are uh, are definitely deadlines that spur action uh, around Washington. Very few other things will outside of August recess, but those those two are pretty hard deadlines. All right, Spencer, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Mike. Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Well, what kind of weather do we have ahead? Some talk about some really cold air coming in. We'll talk about that with DTM meteorologist Mike Pomerino next on AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air taking care of the people you love and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres that's smart with credence soybeans you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres and that credence variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your basf team so plant your sign of success talk to your authorized credence retailer or local basf seed advisor always read and follow label directions information america's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, tomorrow I'll be in Chicago broadcasting from the DTN Ag Summit. Joining us now is DTN meteorologist Mike Pomerino. Mike, thanks for being with us. Do we have a cold week ahead? Uh, We have a cold start to the week, Mike, but uh, things are going to move out just as quickly as they're moving in. So, uh, yeah, I think we're expecting to see the uh, coldest weather, you know, so far this season. A lot of sub-zero temperatures in the upper Midwest. But then we're going to be looking at a very rapid moderation in temperatures starting about Thursday or so. And that could take us right on into next week with temperatures running at or above normal. So a lot of up and down there. Let's focus on the upper Midwest still Harvesting to be done, uh, what are the chances of any good field work weather here anytime soon? Well, I, I think it's all relative, and, you know, good field work weather in uh, mid-December is right. clearly not great field work but, uh, weather. But, you know, considering the time of the year, they're coming off of about a seven-day period here where there really hasn't been much precip. Now, we did bring a, a storm system in. Uh, during the past 24 hours, it, it did produce as much as uh, four to eight inches of snow uh, between about Bismarck and, uh, and Fargo. Uh, but the balance of the upper Midwest, it looks like they're going to pick up about two to four inches of snow. That's what's ushering in the colder air. But once that one moves through, you know, things look pretty quiet. Uh, there could be a little bit of light snow clipping uh, parts of the region, you know, maybe adjusting to an inch or two uh, later in the week. But overall, I think, you know, considering the time of the year, if producers are really motivated to get out there and get some crop harvested, I, 
I think the uh, weather patterns are, are going to be uh, about as favorable as they could be uh, for this time of the year. In other parts of the Midwest, I know here in Illinois, uh, there's there's field work going on here as we approach mid-December. And, uh, you know, uh, where I'm at in West Central Illinois, harvest pretty well wrapped up. But there is the opportunity to get field work done this year that we did not see done last fall. There is. Uh, as this weather pattern uh, looks to be rather quiet, although as you move into the eastern part of the Midwest, it's you're going to be closer to some of that storminess. It looks pretty active over the eastern part of the country, and some of the wet weather in the east is going to clip uh, the eastern Midwest. We're going to see that today with a light to moderate rain event, and then we've got another uh, a rain event, probably light to moderate as well towards the end of the week. But, uh, yeah, even in there, this is a uh, relatively quiet period. All the significant storminess is pretty much going to be confined uh, to the uh, eastern part of the country. Okay, so no major winter storm uh, developing at this point that we're aware of. Uh, That's the way it looks. You know, again, we're coming off of some pretty stormy weather uh, earlier, uh, you know, during the latter part of November, but things have quieted down here in December, and that's the way it looks like it's going to continue. Uh, We've got a little bit of a, you know, really, no one's talking about it, but I feel we've got a little bit of an El Nino characteristic to this pattern right now. We've seen some warming in the Pacific And I've seen enough indications in some of the global weather patterns to suggest this is a little bit of an El Nino. And that being said, you know, that gives us a little more confidence here that we may keep most of the significant storminess here, at least through the end of the month, more confined to the uh, Gulf states and then up along the East Coast. What does your longer-range forecasting show for winter as we get past the uh, holidays and into uh, that January, February period? Is that is that too far out, or, or what, are you, what are you seeing right now? Well, you know, clearly it, it's not a high-confidence forecast, but there, the, the general feeling is sort of based on some of the characteristics of this pattern in the last few years is that After the first of the year, we're probably going to see a turn to sharply colder weather. We have seen that situation over the last few years where we have seen a what we call a displacement of the polar vortex uh, from the higher latitudes down into the middle latitudes. And there's every reason to think, Mike, that that's probably going to happen again. And uh, when that does, that generally leads to some... uh, extreme cold. You know, in terms of storminess, uh, it's a little harder to call at this point. I I would feel a little more comfortable in saying that the Northern Plains Upper Midwest would be on the lighter side of any potential storminess, while the southern and eastern part of the country would tend to be on the uh, heavier side. All right, let's look to South America and how are things going for their planting season as far as uh, precipitation is concerned? Well, it's, uh, it's going pretty well right now if you're in Brazil. You know, they did have some dryness issues uh, earlier in this season, uh, back in the uh, early part of November, but things have uh, 
turned around there, and we have seen uh, quite a bit of shower activity throughout the major soybean areas of Brazil uh, over the last uh, week to 10 days, and it looks like that same situation is going to continue this week. So from a moisture perspective, uh, very, very favorable. If you wanted to look at anything maybe a little negative about that, uh, you may begin to see some uh, soybean rust issues beginning to uh, increase in central Brazil due to the shower activity. And then meanwhile, um, as Brazil has stayed kind of persistently wet, uh, it's gone drier in Argentina. They had a, a pretty dry week last week. They're going to have a dry week again this week with some hot temperatures in the low to mid-90s. Uh, the next opportunity for any significant rainfall there looks like it would not be until about a week from today, next Monday the 16th. So we'll keep an eye on that. But clearly, you know, this is the equivalent to June down there. So, you know, this dryness here now, if the patterns go back wetter again, and I kind of think they probably will based on the El Nino characteristic of the pattern, you know, you're not losing any crop at this early stage. But it's putting a little stress and uh, – it's probably slowed some planting down there as well. Mike, those in your business, the weather business, uh, as you recap 2019, uh, you'll have lots of information to put together. And I guess this is one of those marker years, right? Uh, from here on out, we'll compare a lot of things to 2019 or look back, reference 2019 quite a bit. Well, I think so. And, you know, the 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 concerning thing about this year, Mike, is that you know, over the last few years, we've had a deal with wetness uh, during the growing season. Really, ever since uh, the drought back in, in 2012, you know, it's been more of an issue of wetness rather than dryness. But we, we took that to a, a new level uh, this year in terms of the wet weather really ultimately having a, a, a major impact on uh, on on crops and on you know being able to plant uh, or not being able to plant as the situation didn't allow and and you know still talking about harvest weather here in mid December um, that's the scary thing about this now you know is this as far as we take this or do we go into 2020 with you know even greater concerns and you know clearly at this point the one thing you can say unequivocally is that we're not looking at any moisture shortages going into the planting season in 2020 you're looking at saturated soils uh throughout the nation's midsection and if this pattern decides to go really wet again in the spring uh it, it's it's you know it's scary yeah, not much margin there to work with. But we used to say extremes followed are followed by extremes. Uh, is that still the case, you think? I think it is. You know, I the thing that surprised, that surprised me the most about this pattern right now is the fact that we really haven't been able to, you know, take the other extreme into account here over the last, you know, seven years or so, and that's the drought extreme. Uh, I, I have really been amazed at how persistently wet this pattern has been. And I, you know, I think to some degree, you know, when you talk about things like climate change and everything, you, you have to kind of make a judgment right now that the impacts of climate change 
in the nation's midsection in the heart of the grain belt are wet impacts. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that that's going to continue indefinitely, but clearly the effects of climate change are manifesting themselves with wetness. All right, Mike, thank you very much. Mike Palmerino with DTN. Stay with us here on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence Soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. We always look forward to our visits with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley, who joins us now. Senator, thanks for being Hello with us. There. Hello. Well, you've got yeah. a lot. You've got a lot on your plate here between now and, and Christmas. Uh, let's start with uh, the spending bill. Uh, is it going to be a, a continuing resolution, or do you get a, a, a final bill done? some talk over the weekend we get a final bill done but uh i only know that from the standpoint of some agreement on uh, defense and uh uh i don't know whether that is just the defense authorization bill or it includes the defense appropriation bill and if it doesn't include the defense appropriation bill uh, then it might be a continuing resolution but at this point uh i don't have an answer for you what happens with tax extenders? Uh, hopefully, uh, if we get a final bill uh, today, I think we're going to, if there's not an agreement between uh, Republicans and Democrats and between the House and Senate, uh, then I think it's my responsibility to put down a marker that I think we have done traditionally and uh, and say uh, this is... Uh, my last and final offer, since we can't agree on more than a two- or three-year extension of existing extenders. What's keeping a final bill from getting done on spending? What are the hurdles you still have to overcome yeah. to come to some kind of agreement yeah. on? Yeah, the division uh, of, the, uh, of the increase that was agreed to in September for more money for defense and then more money for domestic programs. Uh, it's how it's divided up among uh, the various subcommittees. And uh, since I'm not on appropriations, I can't go into detail as to exactly uh, what the uh, differences are there, but I presume that it's a lot for the labor, uh, health, uh, education uh, subcommittee. What are you hearing on USMCA? Uh, over the weekend, uh, said that there could be an agreement announced today. Uh, there are press reports uh, that there's a deal out there, but I'm waiting to get briefed in full by the administration on the specifics if there is an agreement. And the reason, uh, I tend to think there's a reason for an agreement is Lighthizer was headed for Mexico City uh, late last night uh, to clear everything with the Mexicans, and he thought that could be done. 
uh, at least that's the report I got, thought it could be done. And probably if there's an announcement, it's going to be an announcement made from uh, uh, from Mexico City, uh, and Pelosi would make an announcement at the same time in Washington, D.C. Best case scenario, do you have enough time this year uh, to have this completely done or even with an announcement, does some of it carry into next year before it's finalized? Uh, probably get through the House this year and questionable whether it get through the Senate. But if it gets through the House, it's not going to have any trouble getting through the Senate uh, early next year. So it would just be a matter of timing at that point. Yeah. Yes. Now, do you see anything that could keep it from happening this year? I mean, are you hearing anything from the House that would make you think it won't get done this year? I did a lot last week, but uh, over the weekend, it seems to me those things are cleared up, and most of it's been good news since then. How much does the impeachment proceedings impact all of this? Uh I think the, you got to look at them entirely separate unless something would run into uh, time. And uh, you know, I think it's more apt to affect it on USMCA in the Senate because when, when the House passes the articles of impeachment, it's almost incumbent, uh, not uh, strictly by law or by Constitution, but by practice for the Senate to take up uh, the impeachment act, uh, the senators act as a, a jury, uh, and and immediately go to that and stick with it until it's done. So we blocked off the whole month of September. It doesn't mean it's going. To, I mean, we we blocked off the whole month of January. It doesn't mean it's going to take the whole month of January, but probably without unanimous consent, uh, USMC would come up after we got done with impeachment. Okay, that's what I was wondering about the timing. If you are having an impeachment uh, proceedings in the Senate, where, as you said, you're basically having, you're the jury on this and you're you're going through that, you won't be voting on USMCA. We're, we're assuming here that it gets, the Senate vote gets pushed into January, like you said earlier, then it would have yeah. to wait till after the impeachment proceedings are over, right? Yeah, um, uh, the only way, uh, I said by unanimous consent, but it's really, uh, even something like this, even though it's going to pass the Senate easily, you never, I doubt if you get unanimous consent to get it up early, ahead of impeachment. All right, right. so that gives us kind of a a look at the path forward here on, on this. We're talking with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. All right, what are you hearing on the RFS, what is is the administration going to get this plan out soon? Well, I'm told it's about ready to go to Office of Management and Budget. So I had two conversations over the weekend with the manager of the Office of Management and Budget because he's got to give uh, final approval to it. Uh, but as far as the White House is concerned, I think they ought to play a very major role in this to make sure that the final rule represents what uh, we had agreed to on September the the second, uh, September the twelfth, in the Oval Office, and then what Senator Rounds and I had an Oval Office discussion with the President Wheeler and Kudlow uh, two and a half weeks ago. Uh, that it ought to 
the final rule ought to represent that. So that was my message to both Cudlow and to uh, uh, and to the director of OMB, Mr. Vogt. We keep hearing about uh, they want to go with partial waivers. Are you in favor of that? Uh, I, it, it, uh, the answer is yes, but it really doesn't matter whether it's partial or full. The principle that was adopted with the White House on September the 12th, reaffirmed two weeks ago, was that whatever gallons, whether they're partial or, or uh, full request, uh, whatever gallons are, are uh, uh, issued by and given to the small refineries by EPA, it's got to be added back in so that we get our 15 billion gallons that the law requires. In other words, 15 billion gallons has to be 15 billion, right? Yeah. Now, uh, you know, uh, this is what I try to explain to EPA. Uh, EPA, uh, both under Obama and Trump, has developed a bad uh, uh, attitude, or they, they don't have credibility with the industry and with farmers, particularly corn farmers, and and not only the farmer-owned uh, uh, ethanol plants, but also the bigger uh, companies owning the ethanol plants, because it looks like EPA is a tool of of uh, big oil, uh, because they grant these waivers, and we never end up with the 15 billion gallons. So I told uh, Wheeler, regardless of what uh, your intention is of being 15 billion gallons, uh, you've got to have it in in the actual rule so that uh, people out there in the Midland reading it uh, understand what you're trying to do and you aren't playing games. So I said you 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 got to overcome the fact that, that EPA has lost credibility with the farmers. And finally, you have worked been working on uh, not just for this president but for all presidents, kind of reining in some of their tariff power, putting it back more in the hands of Congress. Where does that stand? Well, I thought we were going to have a markup of the bill in November. But uh, with the USMCA and some other problems that my Democrat counterpart has, uh, Senator Wyden of Oregon, uh, he asked if I could delay it till we get USMC taken care of. And in order to get anything done in the United States Senate, it's got to be bipartisan. So I had to respond positively to his request, and it was made in good faith. All right. So realistically, we got these two weeks uh, basically till Christmas. What should we expect to see out of? Well, I know you can't speak for the House, but what do you? What action? What's your activity? You think expect to see done in the Senate between now and then? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, the House is going to pass uh, articles of impeachment. I don't think they'll come up in the Senate until after we get back on January the 6th. In the meantime, uh, not shut down government. That can be done two ways. You can pass a continuing resolution into February, give us more time to work out these differences on appropriations. The ideal thing, though, would be to have an omnibus appropriation bill that would pass, uh, go through until uh, September 30th, uh, finalize everything, and it, and it would have things going along with it, like the biodiesel tax credit and about 32 other tax credits that have expired, uh, reinstituting them as part of that omnibus appropriation bill. 
All right. We'll be watching closely. Senator, we know you've got a lot to do. Thank you for your time, and we wish you a very Merry Christmas. Looking forward to talking with you again soon. Okay. Goodbye. Take care. Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. So interesting. He thinks there's a good chance the House will get uh, a vote and pass USMCA this year, but expects the Senate vote to come in January after they're done with an impeachment uh, trial. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Very interesting comments from Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Up next, National Pork Producers and American Farm Bureau challenging Prop 12 in California. We'll get details next on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We've talked a lot about California's Proposition 12 that not only sets production standards for those in the state of California, but also says anyone wanting to sell into that California market has to meet the same production standards. Well, the National Pork Producers Council and American Farm Bureau Federation are challenging Proposition 12. Here to talk about it is Michael Formica. He is the Assistant Vice President, Domestic Affairs and Council for the National Pork Producers Council. Michael, thank you for joining us. Tell us about this legal challenge. Well, thank you for having me on, Mike. Uh, so uh, as you as you indicated uh, last week, uh, American Farm Bureau and National Pork Producers Council filed a lawsuit in federal court in Southern California, so we're looking at the um, San Diego area, challenging Prop 12 and the impact that Prop 12 will have on pork producers outside of California. We, t- we believe there's about 700,000 sows are needed to, to satisfy the California demand for pork. It's a, it's a massive state. Uh, they have about 1,500 sows uh, in commercial production there. So the vast majority, practically all of the pork California receives comes from out of state. And the uh, and the state through this Proposition 12 is trying to impose its will on, on farmers in, in Minnesota, in Montana, in Iowa, in Ohio. Um, it's going to, in order to comply, it's going to incur huge, huge costs, four to five hundred dollars per sow, uh, a couple billion costs across the industry with, uh, you know, if it were to fully go into effect and all would be said and done. And uh, it provides no benefit to California. Um, and so we have, uh, we have challenged it. The Commerce Clause, uh, the Constitution doesn't allow them to do this. Because that's really the crux of the matter, right? Can one state determine uh, what uh, people in other states do. Uh, that's is there is. Do you have legal standing here? I mean, do you have a precedent? Do you think that uh, gives you a strong case? Well, so the, yeah, there, there's a, multiple ways that the courts have looked at at these issues. But I think you 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 came down to the 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 essence of it. Can one state impose its will on another state? And the the classic test would be there. You know, California 
would treat their farmers differently than they've treated farmers elsewhere. And that's not what's going on here because there's nobody who's raising pork uh, at a commercial level in California. And so the, then, they, then they step and they look, uh, they look to see, well, if we balance everything out, is there a benefit? Is there an actual reason that California did this? And is it justified considering the massive cost that's elsewhere, uh, that's imposed elsewhere? And there's, there's one case that, that looked at this briefly, uh, and that dealt with foie gras production. And they found that there wasn't enough foie gras. Um, there's a, a, a poultry uh, product. Come, it comes from the liver of, of geese. And there was $5 million of the, the foie gras industry was about $5 million, had a value about $5 million nationwide. And the court said, well, California's animal welfare interests don't outweigh the $5 million foie gras industry. But the pork industry is vastly greater than the foie gras you know, industry. We're, we're not talking $5 million for the entire industry. We're talking 2 to $3 billion in harm to a 20 or $30 billion industry. We sell at the retail level about $10 billion worth of pork into California. And there's, there's just no comparison between the harm that's going to be imposed outside of California and, you know, any, any claim that they can have to a benefit in California. They've, they've alleged in Prop 12 there's a food safety implication that there's a higher risk of, uh, of salmonella, but that's not true at all. That, that actually is a, is a egg issue. Um, and then they've got just this notion that they, you know, that, that the voters know best how to raise animals. But the voters in California don't know how to raise animals. They don't raise animals. Our farmers have been, for generations, have been, you know, have been working with animals. They've been living with the animals. They've been living on the farm. Their highest priority is the, is the care and well-being of their animals. And they're the ones, that, along with their veterinarians, who are in the best position to, to know how to raise those animals, to keep those animals safe, to keep them comfortable, to keep them healthy. And, you know, Prop 12 doesn't do any of that and so you're often looking at the massive cost versus no benefit to california right these things often comes down come down to what court you're in what judge you get uh so how have you looked at that and made and and gone about this well we um i i don't i don't want to get too much into this because uh you know some, some of that is uh is the, the magic behind the the behind right. the curtains and, and there's some legal strategy involved here but um you know we you know we looked at california we looked at where you know where they consume a lot of pork and so those areas that might might feel the the brunt of the burden from this um you know we're you know we're also cognizant of the fact that at the district court level um and we looked at what you know what courts might move quicker than other courts um but but you know we're we're mindful of the fact that we do have an uphill climb at the district court level, uh, and so we've we've prepared this you know in uh, in preparation for having to go the long haul. Uh, yep, that's so whether all. we win it in the district court or the court of appeals or the supreme court, um, we are uh, you know, we are looking to uh, we're looking to challenge Prop 12 and, and ultimately prevail. 
That all has to be considered. You're right. That that is so much a part of the legal strategy. All right. We'll be watching closely. Michael, thank you for the update. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good day. All right. Michael Formica, Merry Christmas to you as well. Michael Formica with the National Pork Producers Council. We'll, We'll watch that closely, that legal challenge to California's Prop 12. All right. That wraps it up for today. I'm off to Chicago. Be broadcasting tomorrow from the DTN Ag Summit. Hope that you'll join us then. Thanks for being with us today. Again, Merry Christmas to all of you. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invigor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions.